I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as vaccinations slow, health and community leaders address access issues. Then, investigative reporter Jerry Mitchell details the 2018 death of Robert Loggins. Plus, visual artist Alexis McGrigg describes the composition and style of her work. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's health leaders continue to encourage vaccination as the state experiences a rise in COVID-19 infections and other health care metrics. Confirmed COVID-related hospitalizations are nearly up 33% over the last week, and outbreaks in long-term care facilities are trending up for the first time in months. During a virtual seminar with Alpha Kappa Alpha yesterday, state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers acknowledged Mississippi is following some nationwide trends. Across the United States now, we are starting to see some increases in the number of cases. We're seeing increases in the number of hospitalizations in several states. Uh, It seemed to start in the Midwest, and we're starting to see that now in Mississippi as well. Although it's minimal, we are starting to see some increases in the number of cases. We're seeing increases in the number of nursing home outbreaks. Um, We're seeing the increases in the number of hospitalizations in Mississippi. It's going to have to be something that we watch very closely. Certainly, it's not unexpected for us to have some variability in our numbers. And even if we're doing um, everything correctly, we may see some minimal upswings. What our goal is, is to blunt the impact of any increases in cases that we see. Transmission of the coronavirus is not nearly as intense or extensive as it was in the winter months before the state's vaccination rollout. And Byers says the state's decision to target older, more vulnerable residents first is keeping that population safer during this period of increased transmission. 
one of the things that we're facing now, as we begin to vaccinate more individuals, and initially our target population has been those folks over the age of 50, especially over the age of 65. That's where we've seen um, our highest morbidity, our highest mortality. That's where the hospitalizations have been. That's where the deaths have been. And so one of the keys to our early vaccination rollout has been to target those age groups. We've now achieved close to 70% vaccination in our individuals 65 and older in Mississippi. Um, This is going to pay us dividends in the long run. And what we hope is with those, even if we see increases in the number of cases, even if we see increased transmission in the state, that we limit the impact of COVID on those more susceptible populations. Despite local and national campaigns from health and community leaders, Mississippi still trails in nationwide vaccination ratings. Health officials conceded early on that access and hesitancy would be two of the greatest challenges in the largely rural state. Dr. Claude Brunson of the Mississippi Medical Association says leaders are still seeking solutions to those problems. Certainly, I think we all know when when the vaccines uh, first came out, there was an issue about access as they were slowly uh, ramping up production and all and and divvying it out across the country to the different states. There was obviously not enough vaccine for all of the folks who now wanted to get vaccinated. And so we did have an access issue. As production has continued now, we have gotten past, uh, for the most part, the access issue as far as production and availability of vaccine um, to now uh, getting around actually now to, to some issues with, with hesitancy. There was this myth starting out that African Americans are, are because of uh, things that have gone on in our history dealing with medicine and, and, and the government, such as the Tuskegee experiment, that African Americans were going to be hesitant and not wanting to take the vaccine. Uh, I think with all the education that we had been doing uh, um, across this period, and with African American recognizing the higher risk and the higher death rates that were going on in our community, uh, that education started sinking in. And we actually had, when vaccines first became available, we had more demand than we had supply. And then the issue was about um, not having vaccine access uh, distributed in a manner that our community could actually access. Mississippi's 2nd District Congressman Benny Thompson also took part in the virtual seminar. He championed the relief funding the American Rescue Plan is providing the state to continue to push to vaccinate residents. He says he doesn't see hesitancy as a problem in the black community. He says access is the issue. I hear so often that somehow black people are not engaged in wanting to get a shot. I don't know where they are, to be quite honest with you. Every person I come in contact with has been trying to figure out the best place to get a shot. My daughter got her shot in Macomb, Mississippi. Uh, An attorney friend of mine got her shot in Meridian, Mississippi. My sister-in-law, who lives in Cleveland, Mississippi, got her shot in Greenville, Mississippi. So 
this notion that somehow black people don't want uh, to get a shot. Uh, I think the number one issue is access. Uh, people say, well, we have Walmart, we have CVS, and we have Walgreens. Well, that's good if you have Walmart, CVS, or Walgreens in your community. Uh, but 14 of the 26 counties I represent in the 2nd District, they don't have Walmart, they don't have Walgreens, they don't have CVS. So we have left with other areas to try to fulfill. And the community health centers have really helped us in, in that respect. Thompson says community health centers are working to get people in his district vaccinated. He says a portion of the $1.8 billion coming to the state from the American Rescue Plan will help with vaccine education and access. Coming up, investigative reporter Jerry Mitchell details the 2018 death of Robert Loggins. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. While the trial of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer responsible for the death of George Floyd, started to wrap up last week, a new report from the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting detailed a similar incident in the Magnolia State. Robert Loggins, a black man taken into custody by police in Grenada on an early November morning in 2018, never made it to a jail cell. He never made it past the station lobby. In a video obtained by the MCIR, Loggins is seen rolling when officers and jailers get on top of him inside the Grenada County Jail, with one officer appearing to kneel on his neck or head. Three and a half minutes later, they got off of him. The 26-year-old never moved again. More than six minutes passed before anyone checked his pulse or his breathing. Jerry Mitchell, the founder of the MCIR, broke the story and joined us to detail the events of that night and how Mississippi might have its own George Floyd case. I had a source contact me and who shared the video who basically said, hey, this is Mississippi's George Floyd case and and then sent me the video. So that was able to uh, see the video and then, and then found out there was a lawsuit and, and all those things and kind of went from there. Well, let's go back and tell us what happened. It was uh, November 29th and 2018. Correct. So Robert Loggins um, had long struggled with um, drug problems, um, mental problems and at about 5:40 in the morning that morning uh they get a 911 call the police do in grenada mississippi and basically this lady is is just saying hey there's there's a man crying out for help in my backyard and so police go out there are five different officers that respond to this and find a guy in the backyard find robert Wong in the backyard 
they ask him repeatedly to put his hands uh, behind his back. He's, he's laying down on the ground, but he has his hands under him. So they keep asking him to move his hands behind him so they can handcuff him. And for whatever reason, he, he, he doesn't. And it, it's clear he's not being very responsive. He, um, he starts talking about prophecies from Revelation and, you know, different things like this that uh, certainly give you an indication he's not. Uh, and, he, and he had been doing meth, too. That's what the, the, the blood test indicated as well. So, so, that's, so they ended up tasing, you know, using a taser on him uh, eight times. So Loggins was tased eight times to comply with the officer's orders or requests? Mm-hmm. To, to get his hands behind his back so they basically so they can handcuff him. And actually, you can see on the body cam actually hitting him with a flashlight at, at, at a certain point. Then what happened? So he they, they start to take him into custody. There actually is an EMT there. Uh, and they ask, you know, the EMT, you know, is asked to check him out. And the EMT, you can see this on the body cam video, says, oh, he looks fine to me. That was his way of checking he him said, out? To say yeah, he looks that fine. was his way of checking him out. It was like, oh, he looks fine to me. So they they put him in the back of the, of the um, squad car. They drive to the Grenada County Jail. They take him in. You can see him in the cameras. Now we're talking about jail video that you can see. And this is what I've, I've seen as well. And so you can see the, them first taking him out of the car, and then they're, they're actually carrying him upside down, um, like head down is what I mean by that. And uh, then they kind of drop him in the lobby of the jail. Um, Mr. Loggins is handcuffed behind his back and he's laying on his stomach. They left him on his stomach. The, the, there's a real problem with that. I mean, the, back in 1995, the Justice Department no, noted this. So there's a problem when you leave people uh, in what they call a prone position, stomach down, and basically, um, you know, handcuffed behind their backs. Let me stop you what for a second. The, I want to go back to from the time that sure. he was tased – is there any indication that he was conscious and or talking yes. during this part? Yes. All right. Yes, he was rolling around a little bit when he when they get him in the jail. Uh, one of the uh, one of the people at the jail uh, said later in interview that she sensed he couldn't breathe, like he was having struggling to breathe or whatever. So the arresting officer wants his uh, handcuffs back. And so, literally, all these officers kind of pile on top of Mr. Loggins. And so he, and they do that for about three and a half minutes while they are changing out these handcuffs, like moving from the arresting handcuffs to the jail handcuffs. And during that three and a half minutes, they're spending all of that time. It takes that long to take off a pair of handcuffs and put on another? Yeah, that was kind of my question, too. Um yeah, that it is. They they pile on them and they don't get off for three and a half minutes. What happens when they get off of him? He doesn't move. He's lifeless. And do they attend to him? 
not they don't check his well they start to take him into the jail weirdly enough after this but it was clearly uh this guy is you know not with it and you know it, it, again he appears lifeless i mean he's just dead weight when they try to carry him um so they drag him back drag him that way and then drag him back and then finally after about six minutes the the shift supervisor goes over and checks his pulse and his breathing and then goes over and makes a call and you can hear her 911 call basically saying hey you know <laughs> this guy is um, this guy doesn't have a pulse he's not breathing she had called the ambulance service before already and what she said after this happened was this guy's bleeding from his mouth. You know, I can't take him like this. You know, so she had already called nine one one before that, uh, but she didn't actually check the pulse and uh, breathing until six, a total of six minutes later. Jerry, now that the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting has exposed this story, what happened, told the story. Have you gotten national attention yet? Do you think this will become a national issue? We'll see if it becomes a national issue. I think in general it's going to be a national issue. I know the Justice Department, the Attorney General uh, Garland, uh, talked out loud about the Minneapolis Police Department and, and policies and practices and things like that. I think that this is one of those things that's going to be looked at and and should be looked at, frankly, uh, aside from any particular individual case from a perspective of this keeps happening. You have um, officers who are kneeling or getting on people's backs, and people are unfortunately dying and things like that. So it's it's something that policy-wise they should have dealt with a long time ago. I mean, the, the, the memo from the Justice Department came, back, came out in 1995 basically saying don't do this. Are you making the video available for people to see? Yes, it's on our website. Uh, if, if people would like to uh, like to look at that. Did you get any response? I assume that you tried to talk with the yes, police I department did. and no response. Yeah, they they just are, are apparently not wanting to talk about it. They've not been willing to comment on it. Jerry Mitchell is the founder and reporter for Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting. Jerry, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Since the release of the story, the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus has called on the Justice Department to investigate Logan's death. Logan's wife is suing those involved, accusing them of wrongful death. On Monday, we'll hear from the family's attorney. Coming up, visual artist Alexis McGrigg describes the composition and style of her work. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
For artist Alexis McGrigg, blackness is the ability to change its form, content, direction, and position, and is something not confined by any finite definition. She asserts that blackness within the black experience must constantly switch between modes of being, having to be one form of blackness and yet exist as multiple forms at once. In the latest installment of the Mississippi Arts Hour, McGrigg talks to Sarah Story of the Mississippi Arts Commission about her composition, style, and the role of blackness. So I use water-based media, and specifically, I use um, fabric dyes, um, and I also incorporate a little bit of acrylics and um, um like mica powders, which are like little gold or silvery sort of powders. Um, <clears throat> and and then also charcoal. Charcoal is like the number one medium that's like consistent in all of my work. Um, so those are, those are the mediums that are, that are like the foundation of my work right now. So what, so you mentioned that you started uh, discovering your conceptual ideas, the grounding concepts behind your work in grad school. What can mm-hmm. you describe those a little bit to our our listeners and and maybe how they've they've changed? Yes. So um, while in grad school, I first uh, the first the beginning of my conceptual ideas started with me trying to do sort of a sort of some digging on like ancestral stories um, and, and ancestral history, thinking about Black people in general. Um, but because before that, I was thinking, I was still talking about Black people, but I was refer- referencing um, stereotypes. So eventually I moved away from that and started thinking about how can I really think about the narrative of Black people just generally, and which that led me to start Um, starting to think about um, my African heritage and um, thinking about the narrative that comes along with that. So um, the history of Black people in the U.S. was that our, our history had been erased. Our culture had been erased. Our knowledge of um, any, anything from continental Africa was pretty much taken away. So I started creating a narrative of who would we be as a people if Western civilization never happened? What 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 would we be like? How would we exist? Um, so that's where I began. And then I eventually branched from thinking about <clears throat> ancestral lineage and then started thinking about a collective, Black people as a collective. But even more than Black people as a collective, this idea of Blackness. So the idea of Blackness based specifically on the Black body. Okay, okay, so now we're here at the Black body. What am I, what am I creating? I started doing more paintings with, uh, uh, paintings or portraits of Black figures that were in a field of Black. The color itself, examining the color itself and the figure. And then once I progressed from that, I started thinking about blackness as a larger intangible idea. Now it's this larger thing that's just bigger. It's bigger than people, it's bigger than our bodies, it's bigger than the idea of black people or the idea of black bodies or the idea of blackness, how we exist. 
Um, so when I came to the idea of blackness, I think that's when the, the world opened up. <laughs> it, it opened up because I was able to examine it in so many different ways. Here I can talk about it as color. Here I can talk about its relationship to the body. And then, I, you know, I started thinking about it as a space or an opening or a void or a cylinder of time. And it just kind of like, it kind of blossomed from there. Um, and so that idea of Blackness led me to where I am right now, still talking about Blackness as a spatial entity and how Black bodies move through space, how we live, how we exist, and how that is a metaphor for celestial space. So it's been kind of like a developing thing, but it all began at that term, Blackness. Hear the full interview with visual artist Alexis McGrigg during the Mississippi Arts Hour, Sunday at 5. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.